hosting the Two Blokes Talking Tech. Proudly provided by Web Central. For two blokes talking tech. There is a lot going on in technology, as always. The latest news and information about technology. It's fantastic to get these speeds on a mobile phone, isn't it? The speeds on this thing are amazing. Two blokes talking tech. It's very nice, snappy performance. It's a good phone. Yeah, there's a few pros and cons with this. With Trevor Long from yourtechlife.com. Now, my advice to people who like this kind of service is... And Stephen Fennick from techguide.com.au. I really like this new service. Gives you that flexibility to hear your music anywhere. Two blokes talking tech. Stephen and Trevor always provide the best advice. Lots to talk about on Two Blokes Talking Tech. This is Two Blokes Talking Tech. And thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading episode 162 of Two Blokes Talking Tech. My name's Trevor Long from EFTM.com.au. Joining me each and every week from techguide.com.au. Stephen Fennick, g'day mate. G'day Trevor. How you doing? Very well. I just flew in from San Francisco this morning, so raring to go. For those wondering why the podcast is so late in the week, it's because the time zones weren't exactly the friendliest between San Fran and Sydney, so hence we're doing it today. But he's fresh, jet-lagged and ready to go for you here (laughs) on Two Bikes Talking Tech, episode 162. And there is a bit of news around. We'll talk about some some other stuff shortly with Optus, Ford, and, and your minute reviews. But obviously, the highlight uh, and, and the the important stories of this week do revolve around WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conference. And I I do think it's important, mate, to spell it out every now and then what this is and why this is, because you know you would have got exactly what I got all week, which was oh, isn't that disappointing? And you know they announced nothing and all this kind of stuff. But this is a massive conference and week-long event for developers who are building apps for iOS devices and Mac computers. They get the chance to go face-to-face with Apple engineers, talk about how to program best, talk about you know advantages and disadvantages of certain things. It's about developing, and it just happens that Tim Cook does an annual keynote there where he announces things, particularly software. And So it's no great surprise to me that that's what happened. Absolutely, yeah. Now, there's always there's always the hope and the rumor that there will be a, a hardware announcement snuck in there. It ha- has happened in the past. They have announced a hardware uh, in years gone by, including iPhones and uh, the MacBook Pro with Retina, I think, was introduced a couple of years ago. But now you're right. This is the absolute showcase for developers. Developers are the lifeblood of their app store. They, they're the people who go out and create these apps that get everybody so excited, that, that, that make these devices what they are. Without apps, they wouldn't be very exciting products. So Apple exactly know what side their bread's buttered. Mm. They look after their developers. I think there's a 70-30 split with, their, with the profits and 70 going to the developer. So they are building uh, a, a really good system there, a good ecosystem, uh, and uh, which is conducive to them wanting to develop. And, of course, yeah. with what was announced uh, on uh, earlier this week, it, it provides them with the new and latest tools for them to improve their apps, create brand new apps. Uh, the day after the conference, we went round to see some of the developers, actually. We went to see Pinterest, Hotel Tonight, Toy Talk. So these are three app developers, quite different to one another, but all excited about various different parts you know, of the announcement. So well, what's interesting there to is me, something in it for all these developers and hence the reason why there was more than 6,000 of them there to hear every word. I found something very interesting and I've only just realized it. There was something missing from Tim Cook's um, keynote. He normally opens a certain way and he did open with a lot of stats and data about the adoption of, um, of the operating systems in, in the world and how they'd yep. been taken up. 
But I tell you what he didn't do. He didn't talk about how much money they'd paid to developers and how many apps had been downloaded and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I, I noticed that myself. I think that last year they did, I think they've paid, it's in the billions. I don't know exactly oh, how sure. many billions. It's in the billions. And it's, you know, millions uh, and yeah. millions of apps downloaded. But we didn't get that stat. Yeah, I know. I, I think that that was a, a conspicuous uh, thing that he left out. But he did provide other, other details. Like I think they sold their 500 millionth iPhone. Hmm. Uh, and the he, I, I did kind of like the, the cheeky way he compared iOS and Android. I think he was saying that the latest version of Android is only on about like Seven. less than fourteen percent of yeah. devices, whereas uh, there's eighty three percent of iPhones running the latest iOS seven point one or whatever it is. And same thing for Mac. I think there's a, like more than sixty percent uh, people have installed Mavericks on their Macs, whereas only fourteen percent have have got that on. Uh, Windows 8.1. So, I did see a really cool, and that was a good pie chart. You know, pie chart side by side, Mac OS 10 versus Windows, and showing the um, the adoption of um, Mavericks um, versus Windows 8. You know, something like 60 percent, 80 percent versus you know very 7 percent or something. But yeah. someone else then quickly put it in perspective by saying, and it's hard to to talk about, but imagine this visually. But reduce the size of the apple pie graph by about 100%. So it's like the size of a five-cent piece versus a, a dinner plate. And that's the perspective of, you know, there's still a bloody lot of Windows computers out there. And you've got to take into account enterprise and all that stuff. So I do think that's a bit unfair, that comparison. But the, the Android comparison was spot on. Yeah, but there was another comparison too with the, the Mac install base. Uh, I think they mentioned that uh, year on year, uh, the compute computers actually um, decreased by 5% the whole industry, hmm. whereas the Mac install base went up by 10%. Yeah. So in, 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 a, in a slowly reducing market, Mac install base has still managed to grow. But um, I think we'll, we'll get into the OS 10 Yosemite in a moment and iOS 8, but I think what, what my takeaway from the, conference, from the Worldwide Developers Conference when you look at the iOS and, and OS 10 next to each other and how they can interact I think Apple are trying to draw the products even to, to form a tighter relationship. Yeah, that ecosystem us. is getting tighter. Yeah, but also, also making it so that you can only get the best out of either of the products, whether you've got an iPhone, iPad, or a Mac, when they're working together. So um, I, I think what, what, what Apple would obviously love is that anyone who owns an iPhone, they want them to own a Mac and vice versa. Anyone who owns a Mac, Apple would love them to own an iPhone or an iPad yeah. or both. So I think that that was something that they they didn't really disguise the fact that 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 was something they're absolutely gunning for. All right, talk. Let's talk Yosemite. Yes, and just for the Australian audience, we should point out clearly that it's called Yosemite, and it won't be Yosemite as in Vegemite. Let's just get that up clear up front. It's Yosemite after the uh, Californian uh, National Park. But uh, the uh, what impressed me about this was how much it's going to look like iOS 7 now, just in terms of design. It does have that similar flatter, cleaner look, that kind of understated, uh, understated design, lighter fonts, uh, those sort of similar translucent panes and windows, so you can kind of see what's on top of each other. You can see the desktop underneath. That was uh, pretty obvious at what direction they're heading, and it's becoming more like iOS with each iteration. 
Um, one of my favorite features is the way that you can now work your devices together. So, for example, you start an email on your Mac and then you can finish it on your iPhone and vice versa. Uh, another favorite was the handoff. So uh, that was sort of partly that, like the email example, but the ability to actually re- answer your iPhone on your Mac, I think, was pretty cool as well. So your Mac becomes like your speakerphone. And it's a huge deal because iMessage is a fantastic product. Um, and what they've done is they've taken both calls and SMSs from your iPhone into your computer. So you've got a Mac or a MacBook, whatever it might be, and because your your iPhone is next to it and paired and you're on the same account, your iPhone is basically able to communicate your text messages into your Mac. And so you can use the Messages app on your Mac to send SMSs as well as iMessages, plus yeah, you can it, use FaceTime to make phone calls. It, that's exactly it. And you don't have to – you know how iMessage works, obviously iPhone to iPhone or iPad, whatever, and, and the message – you get the blue windows. That means you're on an iMessage. The green messages means you're, you're, you're chatting to someone who doesn't – he's not using an iMessage, but they're still going to be able to bring those messages into your Mac anyway. Another cool feature I thought was how – your phone, if you say you're out and about with your MacBook Pro, your phone will become one of the suggested Wi-Fi networks. So you can actually select your phone as a network and it will then automatically turn on hotspot on your, on your iPhone. So that becomes your Wi-Fi network, if you like. So you don't have to do anything to your phone or just to which, activate Which is my biggest bugbear with hotspotting. It's just so stupidly difficult. You know, yeah. you shouldn't have – if I've got an iPad – or a Mac, I shouldn't have to open something on my iPhone, touch buttons, and turn things on. It should just know that that's the phone I use for the internet. So just pair it up every time I use it. That's yeah, so well, smart. They've answered. They've answered that call, and uh, there are other enhancements too. Spotlight. I think they've made that. It's uh, brilliant. Literally, literally put it front and center. It would use you at the top right hand corner. Would give you kind of sketchy little results. Now they've really gone in hard and allowed Spotlight to do some pretty deep searching, not only for what's on your computer, but even to do online searches without having to fire up a browser. So everything's in that Spotlight window. Uh, whether it's your contacts, whether it's an application you're looking for, uh, an email that someone's mentioned in it, uh, something on the internet, uh, that's going to be kind of the, the yeah. what I've called like the town square of, of your computer and, where you know, everything can be found. Spotlight has always, like it's the one thing I tell people when they buy a Mac, learn the little magnifying glass. It's the best thing in the world. And so yeah. I'm already running Yosemite and I click the Spotlight right now and I type Fennec and the first thing I see is a contact. And, and, and the great thing is I actually see the details of the contact so I can see your numbers there. Then I see any documents with the word Fennec in it. Then I see mail and messages with Fennec in it. Then I see more contacts. It's such a great thing um, to, to enhance what was already a brilliant part of the Mac operating system. Yeah. But um, it, it's so much better than Windows. Windows just doesn't have search nailed. It's a funny thing. I've just never yeah. found you know typing search and, and looking for either an app or a document as easy in Windows as I do on Mac. So well, I think yeah, you know, that, that's all part of the deal. And the hierarchy of a computer, the way the, the data structure, how everything finds each other. Yeah. Uh, I think now Apple have nailed it here. They've also improved the notification center. That's kind of the another central party computer to give you easy access. You can now add widgets and things to your notifications and yep. actually do things in the notification center. If you've got a, a widget for a particular app or application or some kind of notification, you can actually act within the notification center without having to then go to the actual app. So that that's handy as well. It it is look. It, it's an evolutionary change, not a revolutionary change, but some really interesting and smart features that I think and, and hidden features will be discovered as more people use it. 
But uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm going to hopefully get mine installed as well pretty shortly. Uh, I've already got iOS eight running on one of my iPhones too, but we'll uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. Well, let's do that. Um, iOS eight uh, is just as evolutionary, not revolutionary, as you've mentioned, and that's a good thing because iOS seven was a massive shock to users. Um, it really did upset a lot of people because people don't like things being different. Uh, iOS eight is very similar. Uh, I've installed it on an older four S, and you don't like you don't notice the difference straight up. Um, but it's the little things that matter. And I, look, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff we can cover, but let me tell you my two favorite things first. Um, family iTunes account. So family sharing is just brilliant for a family household where you've probably only got one iTunes account and you're sharing that password amongst everyone so that you can all buy one app and share it. You can buy one song and share it. But now every person in the, in the home can have an iTunes account separately and there can be one or two people set up as parents with everyone else being children literally in the in the structure so i can i can give jackson an iphone a few in a few years and if he wants to buy an app he puts in his itunes password and then if it's you know up over a certain age rating or it requires money he says it says to him do you want to ask permission to buy this and he'll say yes and then i could be at work i could be the other side of the world i'll get a pop-up saying jackson wants to buy xyz for this many dollars do you approve yes Done, yeah. finished. That's going to so solve good. a lot of issues. So we've heard many horror stories about kids running up massive bills within app purchases. I think that that's going to be a feature that's going to be very popular and it's going to save a lot of a lot of grief. I think, uh, especially with the kids on your account there. So, yep. no, great agree, feature, terrific move, um, which will be very useful. The second one is battery life. Now, crucially. Apple have made no claims about the battery life. They've also not announced the iPhone 6, so we don't know anything about the battery. But people complain about the battery on the iPhone. You and I get this all the time. Yep. And I say to them, well, what are you doing? And they say, oh, well, I, I don't know anything different. And I say, well, I bet you you are. So in iOS 8, you go into settings, you go into general, you go into usage, you click on battery, and you can see app by app, either over the last 24 hours or the last seven days, how much percentage of your battery drainage is attributed to each yeah, app. That's a terrific it's feature. Brilliant. It, 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 if you, it'll let you drill down and then see the main culprits for what you're using. And obviously your social media apps, I'm actually looking at mine right now. I've got it installed on an iPhone 5C and Facebook is the is the, the worst offender, 21% uh, battery usage it's giving you because it does those background updates. So I think it's going to really educate a lot of users. What, what I really like is the keyboard the, that yeah. that new uh, quick type or whatever yes. the smart the, the smarter keyboard with the the predictive text that is incredible i think you you can start you can write whole sentences just on the suggested words mm. In the message there. And so, crucially, uh, it learns, it uses the keyboard based on who you're talking to. So if I'm sending a message to you and I say, how about we catch up for, it might even actually say this week's podcast. It might prompt me through that. If I was texting it to my boss, it might say for a meeting. So it'll actually give you different suggestions based on who you're talking to and how you normally communicate with them. Plus, that's intuitive. Yeah, that's keyboard great. wise, they're opening it up to third parties. And, and this doesn't sound that big, but on Android, it's huge. You can install other people's keyboards. So swipe keyboards where you drag your finger across the keyboard. Yeah. It's very popular on Android. And cool. when that comes to iOS, it will be a big, I bet you any money that rockets to number one in the app store. I agree. No, 100%. I think, uh, other interesting features and these were kind of we predicted these uh the health apps the so the, the this app that lets you compile all your data and, and whether it's gathered by apps or the device itself or third-party devices so like your 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 activity bands your jawbones your your galaxy gears whatever it is 
uh, or won't work with the Galaxy Gear, but you know what I mean, all those those activity bands and trackers, yep. Yep. Uh, it's all going to aggregate all that information now within a health app. And uh, there's plenty of plenty of uh, different uh, categories here. So it runs things like it, it tracks diagnostics, your fitness, what medications you're on. There's even like an emergency card you can write if you want. So it'll display, it'll tell you blood type and allergies and stuff like that. Which I think is very clever, and I think this plays right into the rumor that they're going to come up with an iWatch. Like my my big tip, and it obviously didn't didn't uh, eventuate, was that Apple were going to announce an iWatch at this event, and um, that that obviously didn't happen. But the fact they've got this health app uh, and they've taken such a focus on it, I think that kind of strengthens the rumor that they're going to do something in that space. What do you think? I agree, but I also disagree. I don't. I don't doubt there will be an iWatch, but I don't think this is related to it directly. Obviously, it will play into it hugely. But I think this, and I'll talk about the smart home in just a second. But this is more about making it better to do health on the Apple iPhone than it is in Android by combining things. So, just like you say, that what they're creating is a is a back end. So they've called it HealthKick. Which, kit, which is something you'll never see, but it's for developers that allows Jawbone, Fitbit, RunKeeper, WeThings, all those people to output data to the health kit, and it creates a central app where everything gets stored and shown. You can't get that on Android, and I think what they're recognizing is people are doing this, and they need to make the the activity, the the dashboard, the, all that kind of stuff better without actually, ironically, without having people to choose an ecosystem of fitness. Yeah. Um, but no, you're, you're right. Uh, you're right. When uh, an, when an I watch watch launches, it will play into this space. Oh, absolutely. But I think though that Apple is a company that, and you know, Steve Jobs famously said this. He goes, "We we move where the puck's going to be, not where it's been." Yeah. And in this case, the activity tracker, the the fitness band market is booming. Yeah. A lot of people are buying these devices. They're popular. So Apple knows that's going to be an increasing area of, of popularity for people to play in. In fact, it may even influence their purchase of their next device, knowing that, hang on, well, I've got this, this, this wristband and all this information, and this, what, the, you know, iOS 8 or the iPhone or iPad is going to be the best platform for me to keep track of that. That's I right. think that, that also plays into uh, a lot of older users maybe wanting to use iOS as well or sticking with iOS because they're the ones that are going to want to monitor their health. You know, I don't think a 20-year-old is going to want to think, oh, what, what's my, you know, how, how is my medication going and all these diagnostic no, things. No. That's going to really appeal to older audiences as well. But And, um, and, and I think then, you're, you're right because it's about choice, right? So someone who wears a jawbone up because they like the look and feel of it and its functions, they, they go running and they've got a TomTom you know, heart rate monitor and or, or RunKeeper, the app, and they've got a bike and they use Garmin products there. All of that can can be outputted into, into the health app. So that's where they're going with that. And likewise, to wrap it up on iOS quickly, the home, the smart home, what yeah. they've recognized is that there's Belkin Wemo, there's Google Nest, there's all these different bloody things that are in your home controlling. And I've got to tell you, it's, this sounds stupid, but even my home, which has Belkin switches all through it and an air conditioner from Actron, which you know requires a separate app, I've got to go into two apps to do things. It would be better if there was one app where I could do different things uh, across Absolutely. the devices. And that's well, what they're doing again. Again, Apple playing in a space that's going to be massive. Like I've written on Tech Guide a couple of months ago that smart home automation in Australia alone 
is going to be a multi-billion dollar market just yeah. here in the next two to three years. So Apple are, are, again, positioning themselves as the go-to company to have this ecosystem, you know, backed by great devices, great software. So they're, again, positioning themselves to be this company that can have this standard, kind of like the built-for-iPod standard. Yeah. Um, you've got to remember, too, that, that not only will it be just the apps, but Apple, the iPhone will give you the power to talk to Siri to turn your lights on. And if and when we see it, the iWatch, I reckon, will also play a role in smart home automation. Imagine being able to turn stuff on and off just with an app on your wrist you with go. the iWatch. So it's all, it's all parts of the puzzle are going to sort of fit into place in the, next, in the coming months, uh, and you'll see Apple's plan uh, for what it is 100%. And they're cleverly moving their pieces, positioning their pieces to for the full picture. All right. And the last thing, while you're over there, you got a chance to look at an old Mustang with a Pioneer stereo in it with Apple CarPlay. Yeah, I'm really excited about CarPlay. We both are, I think. I'm keen to see whether I can get it retrofitted in my car or update the existing system or slip in a Pioneer system, which is like what like I saw in this 1965 Mustang. So that's a – what's that? A 49-year-old car. Mm. with the very latest uh, system inside. And it's such a simple and elegant little system where you just connect your phone, and I connected my iPhone. Little CarPlay logo appears for a few seconds until all your information is then able to be seen on the screen. So all those familiar icons, your phone, music, maps, uh, your messages. You don't actually see your messages, but Siri can read your messages. Uh, But a couple of little, little smart little touches, though. Say, for example, you go into Maps, and it will give you the most recently searched for addresses. It'll also give you addresses mentioned in emails. Mm. So someone might have emailed you to say, well, uh, you know, you need to be at this a certain address or, you know, here's the address for our next meeting. So it, it cleverly plucks all of that information out of your emails uh, and, and serves it up as a potential address you may want to look up. So and the best news of all, the little. best news of all for everyone listening is the <laughs> podcast app from oh, Apple yeah. has been updated <laughs> to integrate with CarPlay so that you will be able to see and play and control your podcasts through Apple CarPlay. And, and I basically, played podcast. I played the Tech Guide podcast. Yeah. Look at my story. You'll see there on the screen is one of my episodes playing through the car. And, and that's, that's really what it's about. And, you know, for people that have uh, either got a, a modern Commodore or, or a Holden car or have seen um, recent Commodores and, and Holden cars, you know, it's very similar to the MyLink function of, of General Motors, which is, you know, app driven. You plug your phone in, and if you've got Stitcher or TuneIn Radio on your phone, it will be usable on the, on the car. So this is not. To be honest, it's not revolutionary. It's just them getting directly into the game so they can control the interface, the look, the feel, because it looks very Apple. So yeah, it will be great. And uh, as we say, Pioneer have got a retrofit models coming. And, um, yeah, mate, it's good to have a look. And if you want to see photos and, um, and Stephen's story about CarPlay Plus, um, more about iOS and Yosemite for your Mac, check out techguide.com.au. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech. With Trevor Long. And we do it all thanks to Netgear, and uh, don't forget that ultimate in Wi-Fi, the Netgear Nighthawk Smart Wi-Fi Router. This is the router for you if you love gaming. It's got it's built with gaming, streaming, and mobile devices in mind. This is next-generation gigabit Wi-Fi router with a one gigahertz dual-core processor inside, delivering the fastest Wi-Fi currently available, uh, AC nineteen hundred. Um, Fastest Wi-Fi, so you'll get less lag, less buffering, and no matter where you're, you Wi-Fi, Netgear Nighthawk has you covered with beamforming plus. So in your home, as you walk around, 
the Wi-Fi is actually directed to your device. And that's a big difference from just scattergun approach. It's a fantastic feature of the Netgear Nighthawk. Check it out. It is selling like hotcakes. Netgear are very happy with this product, um, uh, frankly, exceeding their expectations. And uh, you should check it out at netgear.com.au. And, mate, while you're away, um, I, and I've got to be honest, this story I didn't think got as much uh, traction as it should have. And maybe that's just because, in my view, a lot of the kind of tech reporting community don't really think too much about the broader general public in terms of how they consume mobile. But Optus yep. announced new plans. Now, about a year ago, they changed their, their plans to this new My Plan, and they reduced the data. They copped a bit of flack for it. Um, but their plan structure was was pretty solid. And these new plans follow that same solid structure with bump ups in, in plans and things like that, but huge amounts of data, huge amounts of data compared to what they had before. Um, for example, on their $60 24-month plan, you get two gig of data. That's pretty good on a, on a contract-based, you know, with a phone plan. But for me, the big difference is twofold. Firstly, SIM-only plans. Their month-to-month, no-contract SIM-only plans, bring-your-own-device, are fantastic. They are comparable, if not better, to the rest of the market. Now, Vodafone used to have the best data plans, but mate, $60 and I get unlimited calls, unlimited texts and five gigabytes of data with Optus month to month, no contract. I find that to be incredible. And then- It's going to be hard to beat. It it is going to be hard to beat because then you throw in data sharing. Now, you've got one iPad, two iPads, another tablet or a laptop computer. You go to Optus and you say, I'd like another SIM card, please. They'll charge you $5 you put that SIM card in your iPad or in your USB device for your laptop. You don't pay any more per month. You're still paying, for example, the $60 a month. And that iPad and that laptop and your mobile phone share a pooled five gigabytes of data. Yeah, that's great. And look, we, we've seen Telstra come up with this already, but I think they were it was a $10 a month charge. Yeah, this is a five-buck one-off charge. So you get an extra SIM then so that you can access that same data allowance. Very clever. Uh, I, I agree with you. Yeah, the, the my plans. What what was what was revolutionary about the my plans was the fact that if you went over your data cap, it didn't just give you a massive bill charge per megabyte. It gave you a, a set cost p- for that next pocket of data. So in yeah. this case, they're now charging basically. If you need, if you go over your data limit, you pay an extra ten bucks and you get a, get an Another extra gig. gigabyte. Of data, which is pretty handy, um, and but I agree though the SIM only plans are very competitive, and there's a number of devices now that are quite affordable. In fact, I wrote about one today, the new HTC mm. uh, Desire eight one six, which I actually I'm reviewing right now. The, that's only f- less than four hundred bucks, and you got like a t- top shelf phone for a very affordable price. And if someone buying that and then hooking up on one of these SIM only plans, wow, they're going to save a lot of money. Yep, very well worth checking out. Um, the bring your own phone concept is underrated, in my opinion. I, I think either people strive too hard to have this, you know, nine hundred dollar value phones, or you know, they just don't realise that if you just saved up a bit and bought a three, four, five hundred dollar phone, which is just as good, just maybe lacking a few of the high end features, you can save so much money and or potentially have so much more data just by signing month to month. So, well nice. worth checking out. Um, I did some I did some graphs on EFTM to try and demonstrate that their data plans now, Optus, are the cheapest in the market in, in many levels. Vodafone's still very competitive, actually, at the lower level. But, frankly, Telstra have got to lift their game, mate. 
I agree, mate. I'm on the same SIM-only plan, the top-end SIM-only plan. Uh, I pay $95 a month. I do get unlimited calls, similar to Optus. I do get unlimited SMS, similar to Optus. But I only get three gigabytes of data, and they offer five gigabytes of data, and it's $35 cheaper. And then you pay uh, if, if you wanted month, to month contract. I, I had to agree to a twelve or twenty month, four month contract, even though it's a SIM only plan. Optus yeah. let you go month to month and let you share the data. And if you want to whack a SIM card in your in your tablet, you got to pay ten bucks a month. Optus is like, yeah, fine, five bucks. Here's the here's yeah. the SIM card. Brilliant. Uh, they're, they're putting the heat on them. They are. They really are. Um, so I think Mr. Telstra CEO, he, regular listener of Two Blokes Talking, Mr. Thody, yeah. Is uh, hopefully taking note of this, Trev, and uh, we may see some changes. We're available for consultancy, absolutely. Uh, Two Blokes Talking Tech, you are listening to episode 162. Thanks to Netgear. Two Blokes Talking Tech, you're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. Now, I know you're, you're a car man, mate, so uh, I think this next story you may be interested in, uh, Ford, who have uh, not been backward in coming forward when it comes to on-road innovation, uh, unveiled a new technology at Computex in Taipei earlier this week, and that's vehicle-to-vehicle communication. And I'm not talking about being able to speak to other drivers in your car. We're talking car-to-car communication. We're talking data communication here. And what Ford is envisaging here is that one car will be able to sort of transmit information to another vehicle. So, you know, things like their speed, direction, predicted path, location, things like that, so that the driver in the other car and even the car itself is armed with that information and is able to make better decisions. So in terms of a safety aspect, you may, you know, there may be a blind corner and your car may sense that there's a car, another vehicle coming at high speed around that corner. It may give you some kind of warning, uh, even in just in terms of traffic congestion. Uh, you'll be able to, the vehicle will be able to also communicate with infrastructure so that maybe traffic flow may be improved if all the cars are talking to each other. Say, okay, a lot of traffic over here. You guys go over there. I don't know how it's going to work, but look, it, it is still very much a concept stage. Yeah. But- I think moving in the right direction. Yeah, look, it is. Uh, This was actually first demonstrated, it's got to be a year ago in Germany. I remember watching a YouTube video of it. And the concept is solid. There's no doubt about it. You know, you're coming around a blind bend. Your car knows before you can even see it that there's another car there, let alone what they might be doing, like indicating or something like that. My my couple of concerns are it's relying on Wi-Fi. And I'm like, really? I'm not sure that, you know, close communication, you've got to be too close before it matters and stuff like that. That's one concern for me. And the second one is, what if I become so reliant on it that a Holden drives in front of me and I smash into it because the Holden doesn't have the same technology in it? Yeah, the, the car wars may start like that. I'm not sure. Yeah. It sounds Terminator stuff to me. It is. But, but, uh, but look, as you say, a great advance, but I, I do look at it and go, maybe Google is the company that these, these people should be talking to about taking parts of. And I'm not saying build a self-driving car. I'm just saying yeah. they've, they've learnt so much about monitoring the roads around you. Maybe they're the people that we should be working with to build safer cars. That's I, I agree. Now, I, I think that the, the problem here is a lack of standards. There needs yes. to be a standard yes. way, a, a, a universal uh, agreed standard that, okay, Ford says, look, we're making this. Okay, yeah, I agree with that, but how about we do this? And they all come up with something they can all agree on and all build so that, yeah, your Ford will detect a Holden. They're not going to crash into it or a Mercedes-Benz or an Audi or whatever you're driving. So I think that they're good, they're good that, that Ford is showing some initiative. Yep, they're absolutely. All, car companies are, are now aware technology is going to play a massive part, uh, not only in the in the operation of the car, the performance of the car, but also a customer 
choosing a new car to buy. Yep. They want they want the latest technology, not only for the convenience, but also for their safety. So, you know, good on these car companies for uh, t- taking us in that direction. And uh, you can check out more about that at techguide.com.au. Well, we appreciate your patience, everyone, sticking with us for the week, but we know what you've been holding out most for, and that is to hear <laughs> the, the products that have come across the Tech Guide headquarters desk. Uh, and I've got to be honest, mate, if it's anything like my joint, uh, yeah. I can't keep track, honestly. Yeah. There is so much coming out right now. I can't see the carpet anymore in my office, but anyway. I created the... this bloody beautiful studio here, and I put desk space here, desk space yeah. there. I haven't seen the top of these desks in months. But anyway. First world problem there, Trevor. <laughs> Get on with it. Well, what, we? what are you looking at? We're looking at, we're continuing the car theme, Uniden's iGo Cam 750. Now, we all know the, uh, the, the car, in car recorders, the crash cams as they call them, like the black box flight recorder for your car can record everything that happens on the road. There's continuous recording. So it's a loop recording. When it detects a, a, a sh- change in direction or some sharp movement, it then keeps that recording, records your date, time, uh, and, and your location. But what iGo Cam 750 adds are a couple of extra features, and those are uh, it's got a camera, a red light and speed camera detector, so that it will alert drivers. Not a detector; it's sort of got like onboard GPS features, knowing where all the speed cameras are and the fixed and red light cameras as well. So that could save you some some money off your uh, some money uh, off your off your ticket and also the points on your license. But the other feature that I quite like, and this is a really cool safety feature, is lane assist. So the front facing camera also doubles as a, as a lane guidance system. So it can detect when you're drifting out of your lane. Now this is a feature often found in really a high end uh, expensive European cars. Uh, it is a feature you can opt for. But now this 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 device that's worth less than two hundred bucks can give you that same kind of technology and you look there's a lot of drivers in australia that drive for long periods of time often fatigued this could literally save your life by saying look you're drifting in and out of the lanes might make the driver think they need to take a rest i go cam 750 available now it's priced at 199.95 and some cool stuff from sony mate Yes, now Sony know a thing or two when it comes to audio, and uh, they've joined the ever-growing market of sound bars and TV-based speakers. Starting with a TV-based speaker, the HTXT1, $449. It sits under your television, so quite a discreet solution. Doesn't take up too much space. Can literally sit under your table, your, the, the stand of your TV. Uh, offers 2.1 uh, output with virtual surround sound. It's got some really nice features, so it's got not only NFC on board, it's got Bluetooth on board, but it's also got um, advanced processing. But it's also another feature, and this will suit a lot of older listeners perhaps. It's got a voice button. Uh, sometimes a lot of a lot of listeners uh, watching TV they can't hear the order the, the spoken word very well. The voice button actually isolates the dialogue in the movie or the program you're watching and boosts the level until till you can hear it properly, which I think is a really cool feature. They can all be controlled using an app as well, uh, and of course you can you can uh, you can play music Bluetooth stream music through the TV based speaker as well. All those features also apply to the new two Sony sound bars, the HT. CT770, which is $599, and the CT370, which is $499. Main difference there is the size of the subwoofer. The, the sub on the 770 is obviously a lot bigger. The sub on the 370 
uh, is actually a dual purpose sub. It's a dual use sub, which means you can rest it on its side or maybe slip it under your lounge to keep it hidden or, you know, have it upright and, uh, and out of sight as well. But, uh, both offering that excellent 2.1 channel virtual surround, uh, that, that and, and pretty satisfying subwoofer base performance as well. Uh, and the pricing I've listed on techguide.com.au. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. Well, if you thought getting to this week's show was hard, wait till you hear about next week. Episode 163 <laughs> will, with the benefit of future <laughs> internet connectivity, uh, God willing, um, will come to you globally. Uh, Stephen will be in New York, thanks to Samsung, looking at something very exciting over there. And I'll be in Sweden. Uh, I'll be in Husqvarna with Husqvarna. If I can get away from the chainsaws, I will do the podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, one of us is going to have to get up in the middle of the night, and I bags it not being me. It'll probably be me because most of my radio spots are in the middle of the night. So, um, isn't no. it? Isn't it uh, sort of a six-month summer up there now? No, it's winter. Isn't it? It's six months of darkness, isn't it? Or you're not going that far north? Oh, I hope the lights are on. We're using chainsaws. That's all I'm worried about. <laughs> Anyway, episode 163, thanks to Netgear, should it appear, will appear globally, but it'll be everywhere for you in terms of pocket casts, iTunes, podcasts, whatever it might be. Uh, Get in touch with us. Follow Stephen on Twitter, at Stephen Fennick with a PH, or me, at Trevor Long. Thank you, mate. Um, Sorry to get to see you, but I guess I'll see you in a few weeks. But uh, enjoy your trip, mate. No worries. Thanks, Trev. You too. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick.